Hey, good morning, folks. Um, some of you know my mom passed away a week ago yesterday, and uh, it's just been a hard couple of weeks. And, uh, but, but a blessing, too. And I'll share some of that story in my message today. And um, just thank you guys for all the hugs and the cards and the emails. Um, just thank you so much for that. We get through it because um, we hug each other through it. And I just thank you for that. And one, one of the gifts, one of the gifts has been, you know, I came home, my, my mom and dad lived in Florida. Mom, dad, dad still lives in Florida, but I came home and you just love your family that much more. You know, you, you hug your wife a little longer and tighter and love your kids. I even love my dog a little bit better. Um, um, I, I just want to share, I, I have this nasty cold, so I just stay like five feet away from me, unless you want to do antiseptic spray, and then you'll be okay. Um, but uh, thank you guys for being here this morning. And I, I want to share, uh, I'm going to start off right with the text from this morning. Uh, it's uh, this text, if we could show this up, uh, if somebody could show that up, this one right here. In the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what a great way to start a story. And we're talking about God's story. But I want to talk about some other great first lines of stories, if you will. Um, once upon a time, good one. Um, it was a dark and stormy night. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And then my favorite, in a far, far away galaxy. Um, um, the story we're going to look at this morning starts this way, in the beginning, and this is God's story. We all have some in the beginning stories, don't we? And I'm going to share just a few of my in the beginning stories, and I'm just going to share parts of them because my wife said you would totally destroy any image that you have at church, and I also might end up in jail. So I'm just going to share parts of these stories, okay? Um, in the beginning, it only hurt a little, and then the shock wore off. Um, in the beginning, the weather didn't look so bad, emphasis on the so. In the beginning, it seemed like such a good idea. Freshman year of college, borrowing a laundry cart from the dorm and turning it into a two-man scooter and then, then running it down Mount Olympus Drive. What could go wrong, right? In, in the beginning, I only lost one of my kids. But shortly thereafter, I lost both of them. Um, in the beginning, it was just Cindy and I, and then the kids came along. And if I had thought it through... If I really thought it through and realized that someday I was going to have to teach them to drive, I don't think we would have had kids. Uh, in the beginning, we didn't know what we didn't know. In the beginning, we knew nothing about nothing. In the beginning, more seriously, in the beginning, I thought was, I was the only one who struggled with fill in the blank. In the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning. Today is an in-the-beginning day, as Pastor Michael shared, not just because the Broncos start at 225 today against the, against the Seahawks. Today is a beginning day here at the church. We ramp up with all kinds of activities starting today and this week. Sunday school for kids and adults today. Awana club for kids starting and student ministry starting Wednesday. Men's breakfast next Saturday morning. A women's brunch, again, all involving food. Um, senior lunch and movie days, that's been ongoing. But also today, as well as downstairs with the kids, we're beginning an eight-week series of talks or lessons called The Good Book. It's about this book, the Bible, sometimes referred to as The Good Book. The idea behind this series came from a pastor out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. His name is Darren, Pastor Darren Spoo. And after a Sunday service, a woman came up to him, shared with him that this was her first time in church. Not the first time in their church, but the first time in a church ever. She was a spiritual blank slate. 
And after speaking with this woman for a few minutes, Darren realized that it wasn't so much that she didn't believe in God, but she didn't know what to believe about God. And she asked, is there a book is there a book that I can read about what you understand about God? And the obvious answer was the Bible. Um, but Darren realized that this book, this good book, this scripture, God's holy word, was not so easy to understand, even for, for folks who had been studying it for a while, never mind a first-time Bible reader. And Darren Spoo set out to create a better way to introduce this book, this Bible, and he wrote a book called The Good Book that takes us through what he believes are the 40 most important stories, 40 most important chapters of this book. He lays out a framework um, for folks new to this book, but to challenge all of us toward a deeper understanding of God and God's love for all of us. And over the next eight weeks, each Sunday, we're going to look at a certain number of key stories in this book, in this Bible, poke, with, poke them a little, fuss with them a little, wrestle with some of what they meant back in the day when they were written, but more than anything, see how the stories apply to you and me today. We'll start today with the stories from Genesis, the first of the books in the Bible, and Genesis means in the beginning, and then we'll run all the way to Revelation, so stay with us, okay? Um, and just a little bit on my faith story. Um, I didn't have one of these until I was 25 years old, and I'm not bragging. Um, my wife says, you must have had one, and I for the life of me, I don't remember ever having one of these. And I was raised in the Roman Catholic Church and went to church on Sunday. But we had, if some of you guys were raised Catholic, we had the missalettes in the pews. And they had the prayers and the, um, the scripture readings in there. Um, so I finally got one of these when I was 25. I had read uh, a small book by Richard Bach called Illusions, uh, The Adventures of a Reluctant Messiah. And it caught the God story in that book caught my attention. And I, and I wanted to find out more about this God. And I was living and working in Glenwood Springs at the time, and they didn't have a place where you could buy one of these. So one night I drove to, to Grand Junction, 90 miles away, to Mesa Mall, and picked up one of these, my first Bible. This is my second one. I picked up the first one. Um, I went back the next day and bought this one. I had picked up a King James Version by mistake. And, uh, and I know some people love the King James Version, um, but it was written in the King's English, and it didn't speak to me. And I, at the time, I didn't know that there, was a different, there were different translations. Um, this is an NIV. It's the translation we have in the pews, the New International Version. You have to find one that fits for you, and this has always fit for me. Um, so 35 years ago, I bought this 35 years ago, and it's, and it's old and worn, and it's got tape to keep the cover from falling off, and it's got loose pages. Um, but it's um, God's Word. Um, if you're new to reading this book, come along with us, and we'll fuss with it together. Um, if you've got one of these books at the house, and you haven't cracked the cover in a while, come along with us. We'll fuss with it anew together. And if you are a diligent student of this book, I am sorry there's no place for you in this next eight weeks. Just take the next... No, no. <laughs> I was hoping you'd laugh at that. No, no, if you've been in God's Word for as long as you can remember, come along with us. I believe... Um, the power of God's word, the heart of God's word, will speak to you fresh anew. Um, it's not just God's word written a long time ago. It's God's living word that speaks to us today. And no matter where you are, whether this is your first day opening this book or your, your book is worn and tired but oh so familiar, come with us on this journey over these next eight weeks. We will all be blessed, I promise you, by the journey. If you don't have one of these or don't have a clue where your Bible is at the house, 
Um, we have free ones at the Welcome Center. Thanks to a, a special family, uh, one of our small group families, they've donated a whole bunch of these books. Please take one. If you don't have one or you can't find yours, pick one up. It's our small gift to you. Um, okay, you ready? Um, five chapters, five stories, really quick. What time does the Bronco game start? Uh, um, but story number one, from Genesis 1, the creation story. And we've looked at this text before. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1-1, and everything else, including you and me. If you're taking notes, our God's story opens with in the beginning. And Genesis is a book about beginnings, the story of God's creative work that continues with us today. In this intro to the Good Book series today, we're going to look at some beginnings, some stories that help define our relationship with God and the world. Many ancient civilizations had their own versions of a creation story. In most of those stories, one primitive being murdered another primitive being, and from this act of violence, the universe unintentionally sprang into existence. In the mindset of these ancient cultures, the world was a violent place, and out of that violence, somehow we came into being. Some of modern culture now, on the other hand, teaches that the universe is nothing more than an accident. Colliding atoms and randomly occurring chemical compounds somehow produced life. In short, you and I are here and all the rest of this by pure chance. And if we're an accident, our existence has no meaning. But God's story, Genesis 1 offers a third explanation for our universe. Our existence isn't simply a random occurrence or the result of a violent act. A loving God intentionally created this universe, including us. Genesis 1 contains our first story, and it's a love story. The Hebrew word for created in Genesis 1-1 is used 44 times in the Old Testament, and it's used to describe the work of a master craftsman. A master craftsman, the best of the best, doesn't create junk. A similar, work, a similar word in Greek is used to describe Jesus. Isn't this the carpenter, the master craftsman? Isn't this Mary's son, the master craftsman? And from Genesis 1, so God, the master craftsman, created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Just a reminder to us, to remind us all, God, the master craftsman, don't make junk. Two things from Genesis 1, from this first story, teaches us. One, we're not an accident. You and I are the res- not the result of cosmic chance or some prehistoric war. You and I are an intentional and individual creation of God. And number two, God created us as an act of love. God, the master craftsman, is far from indifferent different when it concerns you and me, his creation. I love how Pastor Drew has started his messages the last couple, three times. He always starts with this, God loves you. It starts right there. It's the, it's the beginning. God loves you and cares for you. That's the beginning, in the beginning. This past week, I got a note from a friend. Some of, some of you know her, Mary Ellen Blatchford. She's a care pastor over at Cherry Hills Community Church. She wrote such a simple note, but it was so heartfelt. She had heard about my mom's passing last week, and she just said, I am so sorry. Please know that I care. Praying for you and your family. And a little bit about my friend Mary Ellen Blatchford. She's lost a husband way too young. 
She has two adult children that are terminally ill. She knows something about heartache. Don't forget this simple but oh so beautiful, magnificent truth. God loves us and cares for us and uses God's people, you and me, to remind each other of that love, to be that love. Love does. Story number one, the creation story. Story number two from Genesis 3, this is the Adam and Eve story, the fall of mankind. And number two, if you're taking notes, the importance of the Adam and Eve story is not if or when it happened, it happens now. And since the beginning of time, we've been messing it up, you and me. Genesis 3 tells the story. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve choosing their own way instead of God's way. And again, the significance of this story is not that it happened, but that it happens. God is telling us, go left, go left, go left. And we say, "Uh uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm going to try it this way. I'm going right. It looks okay from here. Again, heavenly perspective and earthly perspective are often 180 degrees apart. The story tells us that after Adam and Eve had disobeyed God, God still seeks them out. A reminder to all of us that God pursues us no matter what mess we've gotten ourselves into, what mess we might be right into now. The God of all creation loves us so and wants to be with us, not a million miles away, but right here. This close in every breath. Breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth. Adam and Eve go from a close, intimate relationship with God to being broken and naked and afraid, hiding from God in their brokenness and shame. A break from this intimate relationship with God. And from Genesis 3 again. Then the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man, where are you? And I I believe that was not in an angry voice, but it was in a loving voice, a voice of concern, where are you? And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Adam and Eve hid in the garden from God. And we do the same thing, don't we, sometimes? Different tactics, maybe, but we do the same. We hear God's whisper to us, where are you? And we run, or we hide, or we say, not today, but maybe tomorrow. Whatever the tactic God's presence in the garden sends us a clear message. God hasn't left us alone in our brokenness. He continues to seek us out, to call for us, to call me. Where are you? And know this, God is really, really good at seeking us out. Um, Where are you? Story number two, the Adam and Eve story. Story number three from Genesis 6, the Noah and the ark and the flood story. If you're taking notes, here's point number three. Sometimes it's hard to stay afloat when it's raining so hard. Sometimes it's hard to stay afloat when it's raining so hard. Anybody ever feel that way? Um, Genesis 6 through 9 is the Noah story, and I know that's some of our story too. Sometimes it's hard to stay afloat when it's raining so hard. Last Saturday morning, in the midst of a crazy early morning thunderstorm, we all gathered around my mom at the VNA hospice house in Vero Beach, Florida, and we knew she was near the end. We all told her we loved her. I am one of six kids. I've got an older sister and three brothers below me and then a baby sister. I'm the oldest son. We all told mom we loved her. And I gently reminded mom that I was her favorite. And I think <laughs> I think I saw a subtle head nod that she agreed. I don't think anybody else saw it, but I saw it. Um, 
my, my, my brother Tom and I had to head to the airport. Kathy, our, old, our, our sister, the oldest of us six kids, she was flying into Orlando that morning, and she was the only one that had not said goodbye to mom yet. But then on the way to the airport, we got the call that mom had died. Um, it was from my brother Al. He couldn't speak, but I knew, I was hoping that the call wouldn't come, but knowing it could, he put my dad on the phone, and dad just said, mom's in heaven now. Some level when it happened, we were all relieved uh, that mom didn't have to suffer anymore. She was at peace. The Lord would take care of her. To be with mom as she departed was sweet and beautiful and natural. But as you guys know, it was hard too. Um, we all felt for Kathy, my older sister, who didn't get a chance to say goodbye to mom, at least face to face. I got a pit in my stomach knowing that I would need to share the news with her as she got off the plane that mom had passed away while she was in flight. But while I'm still on the phone with Dad, it's, it's raining hard. Suddenly the rain stops and the sun comes out. And we're driving up I-95. This is the picture I snapped. There was this gorgeous rainbow, a double rainbow. I don't know if you can see the second rainbow, but it was this beautiful rainbow. And I snapped this picture. I wasn't driving. I wasn't driving. My brother was. <laughs> Just for safety tissues, folks, in the crowd. Uh, my dad told me he saw the same one. Um, and this is from the Noah story. This is God speaking to Noah. I've set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Sometimes we're the ones in the boat encouraging folks to come get in with us, and sometimes we're the ones up to our necks in the floodwaters and stuff, not knowing which way to turn. We all know the storms will come. The promise of the rainbow is that God's right here with us, loving us in and through the storms. And God uses knuckleheads like me and you to throw a life preserver or grab a hand or give a hug or write an email or send a note to those who need some help or a reminder. Story number three, the Noah and the flood story. Story number four from Genesis 12 is the call of Abraham. If you're taking notes, this is number four there. Following God involves taking chances. Following God involves taking chances. Following God involves faith. Following God involves trust. In Genesis 12, we're introduced to one of the biggies of the Bible, Abraham. Think Mount Rushmore, Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln, Roosevelt, Teddy. Um, but Abraham is one of the big on the on Mount Rushmore of Scripture. Abraham, Moses, David, and Jesus. And we'll talk more about those guys. But Genesis 12, we're introduced into Ab to Abraham. And Abraham lived some 2,000 years before Jesus. Abraham was as far on the before Jesus side of history as we're on the after side of Jesus. Abraham's home was Ur, located in what we call Iraq today. And from ancient records and archaeologists, they have estimated that Ur was a big city, approximately 300,000 people, a mega city in its day. Ur was the center of it all back in the day, finance, culture, art, commerce, Many historians credit that's where the first written language came out. And mark this, it's also where one of the earliest recorded recipes of beer came from. And I have this new image of Abraham and his buddies drinking a Coors Light after a hard day's work, but maybe that's just in my head. But Abraham came from an educated, sophisticated society. People viewed Ur as they, some would view Paris or London or Los Angeles in our day, trendy metropolitan places, the places to be. And God asks Abraham to leave it all behind. All at the tender age of 75, a new beginning. 
Scholars will tell us that one of the most powerful words in any language is the word home. Home has an emotional, mental, and almost physical pull in our lives. In contrast, God's command to Abram was go. Leave it all. Leave home. Challenge, not comfort, is the lifestyle of those of us who wish to follow this God. And the best way to to capture the essence of Abraham's life and lifestyle is that he was a faithful man. I believe when God invites us into the adventure of following him, he rarely tells us where we'll end up. And the only way to discover the end of the story is to take that first step, like any good story, in the beginning. Part of my mom's faith journey started last November. She was told her kidneys were failing. In the beginning of this part of mom's journey, she first decided no more, no more surgeries. She was done. To say you're done, done, that is the ultimate faith step, I believe. The kidney nurse, the renal nurse called my mom and told her if she didn't do dialysis and didn't do it soon, it was time to call hospice. And mom didn't like that word, hospice. She may not have wanted another surgery, but mom was not ready to die yet. She was not done, done yet, and she had the surgery. That was back in November. Fast forward to July, this past July. My wife and I, my wife Cindy and I visited my mom uh, and asked, I asked my mom if she had had enough yet, if she was done, done yet. She had been on dialysis at home for almost six months, peritoneal dialysis with my dad's help every night at home since February 1st. And that part was going okay, but my mom's heart had been given her problems. She was going in and out of AFib and she was getting weaker and she'd fallen a bunch and her skin was so paper thin that she would fall and get these cuts, and it was tough, tough to heal. She was just gradually going downhill, and I asked Mom back in July, Mom, do you still want to fight? She said, yes, I'm not ready to say uncle. And we said, okay, Mom, we'll fight the good fight with you. We'll help you finish the race. We'll all keep the faith. We love you, Mom. July 25th was my mom's 88th birthday, Um, and I wrote her an old-fashioned letter and shared with her, amongst other things, these things. I said, Mom, thanks for being so honest and vulnerable with us. Thanks for fighting through the past few years, from multiple heart surgeries to the lungs filling with fluids to all the dialysis stuff. You are not only my favorite mom, but you are one of the toughest moms I know. Thanks for fighting through the stuff you've been fighting through this past year and not giving up. Mom, it takes courage to do that. I think it would have been easy just to say, Uncle, and you haven't done that yet. And sometime when you're ready, or when God says you're ready, you'll need to say goodbye to us. But until that time comes, I want to just remind you what a great job. What a great job you've done being my mom. I told him if I started to break up, just break the commercial and we'd come back. <laughs> but someday when you get to heaven, mom, I see this great reunion with your mom and dad, with Uncle Bill, with Aunt Ann and Uncle Carl, and with so many others. I see Jesus at the front of the line with a big smile and a bear hug for you saying, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Mom, I am so grateful for you and your gentle spirit. I love you, Mom, your son, and I wanted to write your favorite son, but I resisted, (laughs) your son, Joe. And two weeks ago today, I I called my youngest sister on the way home from church. She was down visiting Mom and Dad from Georgia, and Mom was still at home, and my sister said, it's time. 
Mom has really gone downhill. She's so weak. She can't walk. It's time. And Mom went into the hospital that Tuesday, and I got down there on Wednesday afternoon, my brother Tom and I. And that afternoon, Mom told the doctors that she was ready. She was done fighting. She had cut her leg. It looked like somebody had taken a can opener down her leg and 26 stitches, and it was infected now. And they were saying to heal it properly, they, they were going to have to do surgery, and Mom just said, no more, no mas. Done, done. And Mom told the doctors first that she was ready. And telling family goodbye, telling them it's time, it can be so much harder. The faith journey, leaving what you know and heading into the unknown, the ultimate faith journey, leaving this life and trusting there's more to the story. Mom made the decision, it was hers to make. And some of you know if you stop dialysis, death comes pretty quickly. And we had to accept it, and that was hard, too. And my brother Tom, a couple years younger than me, who has a gift for saying the right words at the right time, he said, all of this is pretty high on the sucky scale. And he, he, was, he was so right. He was so right. And that was Wednesday night in the hospital, and the next night she was transferred to a hospice house, this beautiful place. No more preventative medicine, no more dialysis, just comfort care. And I had heard those words before. I had walked with some of you um, through those times, I knew the routine, but it's all hard and natural and sucky in the same breath. And I'll tell you, it's a lot easier when it's someone else's loved one, different in so many ways when it's your mom, part of, your, part of the faith journey for me. Following God involves taking chances. Following God involves faith and trust. Stepping from the known into the unknown, and as we take that step of faith, trusting that God will either give us solid ground or teach us to fly. Story number four, it's God's calling of Abraham and that faith story. Last story. What time's the Bronco game start? Uh, story number five from Genesis 22, the Abraham and Isaac story. Abraham testing, is tested by God. And if you're taking notes, you want to capture this. The important thing is worshiping the giver and not the gifts. The important thing is worshiping the giver and not the gifts. I don't like this story, God testing Abraham. But here it is from Genesis 22. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And Abraham is obedient and sets out to do that. And then right before he's going to do it, right before he's going to sacrifice his son, the voice of God breaks in and says, Stop! God testing to see if the thing that Abraham loved the most, his son, was he willing to sacrifice it all in obedience? Did Abraham value obeying God more than he valued understanding him? And I don't like this story because part of me thinks if God tested Abraham like that, he can test you and me like that. To follow God, to be all in, are we willing to sacrifice it all? Are we willing to give up the gifts that God's given us, our kids, the ones we love, our jobs, our homes, our stuff, acknowledging the will of the giver over the gifts that we receive from the giver? And the hard question for us, if all the gifts and blessings were taken away from us, could we, would we still love God and serve him? If I'm honest, I say to God, you can have all my stuff, but don't mess with my family. 
please don't mess with my family. The hospice chaplain came in to visit mom and us. This was a week ago Friday. Friday afternoon, we were all there and cutting up like we Hess folks do as usual, but we quieted down when the chaplain came in, pretending to be very holy. Um, and the chaplain asked my mom if she was afraid, and mom said no. We asked the chaplain if he would pray for us. And mom, and he said this beautiful prayer, and we circled up and held hands and laid hands on mom, held my mom's hands. And then after this sacred moment, we do what the Hess boys do best. We start cutting up again and making jokes, and there was nothing sacred. Not mom, not dad, not dying, not the chaplain, not anything. And in the midst of this chaos, the chaplain leaned over to my mom and said, he had one more question for mom. He said, are these people really helping? Um, <laughs> I love that chaplain. <laughs> oh, this past week, Wednesday, as I was working on this message, my sister and my dad called me. They were still down there together, and I, I was back here by then, and they had been wrestling over what type of urn to put my mom's ashes in. And they called me up and wanted my thoughts, and I told them, forget the urn, just go to the dollar store, get some Tupperware. Uh, I wish I was joking, but I was dead serious. <laughs> the, the, the funeral home wanted to sell my dad um, seven urns, one for each of the six kids and one for my dad. And I said, Dad, stop, 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 stop. If you really want an urn, go get one off of Amazon. Amazon. My dad loved that idea. He is anything. Well, my dad will tell you he is not cheap. He's very, very frugal, and he loved the idea. My dad went back home, and he's sitting in my mom's favorite chair, ready to go online and look for urns. And then my dad saw the frog, this frog. Um, I don't know if you can see it very well, but that's... that's um, since I was a kid growing up, we've always had this frog in the kitchen, and it's, the frog is a cookie jar. And it was always filled with homemade chocolate chip cookies or Oreos or those little miniature Hershey candy bars. Something us kids and then later the grandkids would love. And like my mom's heart, that frog was always filled with love and goodness that my mom loved to give away. And for some reason, my mom used to love to collect frogs, all kinds of frogs, from ceramic frogs and stuffed frogs, salt and pepper frogs, some frogs that looked creepy. Um, and I really don't know why mom collected frogs, but she did. But over time, all the other frogs disappeared. This was, thank you, Jesus, this was the remaining frog. And as my dad, sitting in my mom's chair last week, he saw this frog and said, we don't need an urn. We're burying mom in the frog. <laughs> and he laughed, and my sister laughed, and then they called me, and we laughed together until our stomachs hurt. Someone reminded me this week um, that laughter is cathartic for the grieving heart, and so are tears. And, dad's, and I'm sw Dad swore me and my sister to secrecy. We would hide the frog in a box for Mom's celebration of life service. That can't happen until the first part of November because we've got family that are overseas. But when it comes to the interment, the burial of Mom, Mom would be lowered into her final resting place in this beautiful, bright green frog. And we all thought, what a tribute. Um, and I shared this story with Mona, Mona Estelle, my administrative partner here on staff, and she reminded me of the frog acronym, frog, fully rely on God. And I believe it's the Abraham Isaac story in a nutshell, obedience over understanding, frog, fully rely on God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, one of my favorite verses, was one of my mom's favorite verses, it was the first one I ever memorized out of this Bible, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord with your whole heart, 
and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Frog, fully rely on God. This book is not a history book or a science book. It's a faith book. Frog, frog, frog. Fully rely on God. God's story in this book is about God's love for his God's love for us, his unconditional, no strings attached, his grace changes everything kind of love for us. And as we start on this eight-week journey through the Bible, I ask you to commit as you can to read along with us from the Bible. Again, if you don't have one, we've got one for you at the Welcome Center. This week, the chapters are Genesis 1, 3, 6, 12, and 22. They're listed in your bulletin. Those are the complete stories that we touched on this morning. But more than reading the stories, let God speak to you in and through the stories. I know, I know you will be blessed in the beginning, new beginnings for all of us, just like my mom's new beginning a week ago yesterday. And someone sent me this. Um, this they said, this is first day in heaven. And I have this image um, sealed in my heart, first day in heaven, mom's first day in heaven, mom's new beginning. I love you guys, uh, and thanks for loving me so. You guys have showered me with brownies and cards and emails and texts and hugs. I've contaminated some of you this morning, and I apologize. There's antiseptic spray in the back. Just cover yourself with that, and you'll be okay. Um, I just want to uh, invite you in to being connected. If this church isn't yours, get connected to some church. The importance of a faith family, especially when the storms come, especially when you're saying goodbye to a loved one. It's so important, important for me just to be loved by somebody. Um, a bunch of ways to get connected through small groups or classes, um, starting point. Um, if you're looking for a place to get connected, this might be a great place to come. Let, let me pray for us. Um, hey, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word through this book, your living word through this book, written a long time ago, and Lord, and it still speaks to us somehow. I just thank you for that book, Lord. I thank you for the stories that you'll share with us in these next eight weeks. I thank you for this gathering today. Lord, I pray that um, just your Holy Spirit descend upon us, Lord. Lord, the question that you ask us, where are you? Lord, I pray that we're right there. We're, we're running towards you. Lord, the picture, of my, uh, the picture that I see in my mind's eye of my mom just hugging you and you saying those words, well done, good and faithful servant, well done. Lord, I pray that for all of us. I pray this. In your sweet name, and all God's people said, amen.